Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa. How are you? Oh my God. What a day. What a day. They're having the Amy Comey, oh my God, hearings today. That's that's what's been distracting me because I'm trying to avoid it and still getting distracted by it. So it's just one horror show after another. But, you know, I'm going to be positive, right? Because I'm Dr. Lisa. Thanks so much for listening to, to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. I'm here every Thursday, 2 to 3 on Radio Free Brooklyn. Radio Free Brooklyn, which is the greatest station in the Western Hemisphere. Because I've checked, okay? I've listened to all. This is definitely the best. Another thing that I uh, wanted to make note of as long as I'm in the somewhat tangentially related to the uh, therapy world, business, uh, industry, if you might might call it that. There's actually a lot of, you know, it's a tough time, folks. I mean, uh, uh, I'm very stressed out personally, you know, I mean, who, how, who isn't? And the problem is when everyone's stressed out, that means that no one has a lot of extra resources for your stress. Like I, I can't complain anymore to people. And when you're in that situation, what you want to do is get some free help, free help. So here, here's a really good, here's some good, good help, good free help. First of all, uh, New York state actually has a pretty good system, New York government or the city of New York, I should say. The city of New York, I can't vouch for the whole, the whole state. But what you should do is just call 888-692-9355 because they have like a ton of resources. Like you could have schizophrenia, you could have depression, you could have, um, you know, you just need to like vent. They have people, okay? They have people, resources, place to go. There's a, there's so many. I looked at the website because I wanted to check it for you guys. And there's just a lot of stuff. And you can even text or chat with a counselor right now, all right? So if you want to take advantage of that, go to nycwell.cityofnewyork.us. Um, there's also another great website, Human Rights dot wheel cornell that's w-e-i-l-l dot cornell dot edu they also have a lot of great resources and you can always uh hunt me down at at dr lisa levy sp you know i'm here to help i'm not licensed i'm not a licensed professional but i am pretty professional at this point i will say david wouldn't you say yes you are <laughs> okay there you go okay so that's David Kramer. He is our guest today. I am very excited to have him on. He's probably the guest that's been on my show more than any other guest because, you know, David and I are pals. We've been good pals for a long time, mostly because I met David or uh, because I was so impressed by his work. So I was like, who the fuck artist is doing this shit? And that was a long time ago. And his work's still great. That was a long time ago. David, you're still killing it. Still killing it. 
<laughs> so uh, and, and anyway, there you can if you go to the back catalog of Dr. Lisa gives a shit, you will find many versions of Dr. Lisa talking to David Kramer. But um, the reason we're on today is um, is a really, really, really great one. David has a new show opening Thursday, this Thursday. That's October 15th at Freight and Volume. Freight and Volume is a really good gallery. And David, David Kramer has brand new work that uh, you can see. So the, oh, it's at 897 Allen Street, which is, it's the storefront. That's in the Lower East Side. The gallery is Freight, the, the website is Freight and Volume and spelled out dot com. If you want to look at David's work, including some of the work that he'll be showing, it's his Instagram is dkramer5000. You should go. You should go check that out. Uh, D David, uh, I'll put this all on my webs on the on the page on the page with uh, David's show. You David David's Doctor Lisa gives a shit audio show. Uh, but he, he's, uh, you know, he's been, he's exhibited nationally, internationally, everywhere, you name it. Uh, lots of art fairs, you know, uh, most recently had a big collaboration with Celine. Have you heard of that? Probably not because you buy your clothes in a thrift store and you don't look at, maybe you don't look at the labels, but Celine is something you can't afford, but maybe you do know about it because the creative director, Heidi Silamane is like one of the most, uh, the coolest people in the fashion that people look up. People like him. Eddie Slamond. Eddie Slamond. I, I said it wrong, right, David? Because I don't know. I can't afford the shit. Anyway, um, so you can buy one. David, how much are they selling like a shirt that has that that's a collaboration it's like can i make fun of this it's like a thousand bucks or something well put it this way i uh last june 2019 i went to paris for the runway show for the launch of the line that we did which was spring summer 2020 and they gave me a hoodie a sweatshirt a hoodie that said celine on it as a gift and I looked on the website and that hoodie sold for 950 euros. So that that's so me. stupid. That's like 1100 bucks or something. It's ridiculous. Nicest hoodie I've ever owned. Now, could you ever afford that? No, your wife would kill you. You've spent that. Oh no. Cause she's sensible. She's a sensible one. So I think I, I, uh, you know, I do most Susan, of my Susan. shopping at Kmart. Kmart, really? But, uh, that's where I get my okay. black t-shirts usually. Oh, there's a good fashion tip. But the Celine stuff is beautiful and uh, hand sewn, beautiful, but uh, quite expensive, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so David, I'm gonna give them a little bit of a, a heads up about your work because you'll explain it in your words, but this this is the official terms and then you can explain it to us in the real way. Because, okay, so I've seen, I actually did a studio visit. I had the privilege of seeing much of this work. And there are these huge 
uh, hook rugs that David hand, made by hand. And uh, they're, they're ironic on a whole bunch of levels. And I'm gonna, I'm just gonna read to you a couple lines from the uh, press release and then David will tell you about them. Okay, so here, here's a line that says, who wrote this, David, the gallery? Yeah, uh, there yeah, were two, the, Samir, uh, the, uh, the, the guy at the gallery wrote it. Um, Samir did a beautiful job of writing. Professional it. art writer. Right. Okay. Recontextualizing sunsets. Oh, the title of the show, the most important thing, Mar-a-Lago sunsets. And these hook rugs have a lot of imagery of sunsets and those kind of beautiful, you know, very, you know, beautiful scenes with text on them. And like I said, layers of irony. Recontextualizing sunsets and beach scenes by juxtaposing them with snatches of biting yet ambiguous language, biting yet ambiguous. Um, Kramer transforms otherwise placid imagery into mirage-like reflecting pools of our collective psyche. Okay, one more sentence. Kramer's choice of hook rugs as a medium is in itself noteworthy for, uh, anyway, I'm gonna let him explain the rest, but it is noteworthy because that's part of the irony. David, now will you tell us what, it, what, what the show's about? What's in it? Okay, so the name of the show, as you said, was uh, Mar-a-Lago Sunsets. So back in March, I was, um, so anyway, it's a long story, but back in March, I was in Paris painting a window for Celine on the window of their store. And I have a gallery I work with in Paris and I had a conversation with the dealer there, Florent Godin, and we were talking about a show we wanted to do. And he really had seen this whole show where I had made a bunch of hook rugs for an installation a couple of years ago. I did a show called Hooking Up With Dave, where I'd made like, um, a YouTube uh, video about making hook rugs. Anyway, the long and short of it is that I got back to New York and I started working on these hook rugs for the show that was supposed to happen in Paris in June. And at about a week after I was back in, from Paris, the entire city of New York, the entire country, the entire world went into basically lockdown. So I gathered up all this yarn and burlap and brought it all home to my apartment and started to work towards a show that I knew was probably not gonna happen. I was just hopeful. And I started <laughs> the subject matter, I started to sort of do, decided to do because at that time, if you remember, Lisa, uh-huh. People were not leaving their apartments. We were told to not leave except to like perhaps go to the supermarket or only essential things. So I got this idea that like we would never really get to go see the sunset again. So I started to like use imagery from like other people's sunsets from Instagram. And I started to like draw them on burlap and then use that as the for the back for the uh, information to then make these hook rugs of sunsets. You mean, and, I, mm -hmm. and I wrote a bunch of, and you know, as per my usual work where I always joke 
that I make handmade memes, I started to write text on them. So I wrote things like, you know, I like it. We, I like it when it's real, or there's no irony here, or none of this is true, or um, to totally cliche. I mean, I just started to write things on the the text. is very funny because it kind of like dismisses the actual sunset that I just spent two weeks kind of making <laughs> yarn. So right. that was sort of, so there's this sort of like uh, collapsing irony or satire to the work as I'm making it, it's sort of deconstructing its own self in, with the text of what you're seeing. So when you're seeing this thing that's totally familiar and I'm using all this yarn that I get from Michael's from the craft stores and it's all this like um, nylon, very shiny, bright colors. And it's, they're really beautiful, rich. They're totally, um, I mean, like these things are five feet by five feet. They're circles, most of them, the motifs. And each inch of that five feet by five feet, I have to like pull through the, the burlap with a little oh. tiny hook. I'm like <laughs> making these hook rugs completely by hand. They're totally insane projects. And as the pandemic, as I was staying home and working on my kitchen table, I just sort of put my head down and I suddenly looked up. I had six or seven of these rugs and uh, now we're going to have a show of them over in at uh, Frame Volume on Thursday. So. The, there's sort of a performative aspect to it, right? I mean, and there's a it's got like performance art kind of baked into it because you couldn't go to your studio, right? Right. I do think that like the uh, nature of making. So a couple of years ago, I did that show hooking up with Dave. And that show was like I have was offered a space in a gallery on the Lower East Side at a different gallery, Elmac. They had a top floor that was just like a dismal kind of room. And I thought, well, this would be kind of funny to sort of pimp it out as a bachelor pad in a funny ironic way because irony always has a lot of the basis of how I think for some reason and I started to sort of figure out what I needed to make this room and I decided I needed to make a um a tiger skin I needed a tiger skin rug so I decided I had to make one and then I thought of this sort of way I had seen in my aunt's house back in the 1970s, she had made all these hook rugs of like butterflies and flowers. And I decided that I would make a tiger skin using this technique. So anyway, to get back to your point, I ended up watching a lot of YouTube videos to figure out how to make hook rugs. And then I made my own hook rug video, YouTube video, which is called <laughs> Hooking Up With Dave, which is very funny, it's on YouTube. And I never really explain how you make a hook rug. I just sort of, <laughs> a really funny video, but that is where the real performance quality of the work sort of came in its germination of me making these hook rugs started with this very self-conscious act of making hook rugs in this very sort of like, um, sort of nostalgic kind of uh, technique that's totally from the 70s. And uh, I, I also think that the, you know, the repetition, the, the relax, there's a certain something that's very relaxing, occupational therapy type thing about making the rugs. I think that it must have, uh, 
helped you keep your shit together. Like, no, I mean, everybody was, it was, and uh, you guys should know that David lives in Manhattan and living in Manhattan at that time must've been, I mean, from everything I've heard is I'm in Brooklyn, you know, we can walk around here. There's it. I just think living in Manhattan is, was a really, I think that was a very intense experience. It was totally, you know, even when we did go outside, I, since I lived in New York for so many years, I've been living in New York while I was born in New York, but I've been living here in Manhattan since the nineties. I've been living in New York city on the whole since the eighties. And, uh, you know, New York really started to feel very much like it did back in the 80s, really. It was very furtive. You saw people on the street, you'd cross the street to avoid them. It was all very strange. And then, of course, as the protests started after George Floyd's uh, murder and then the rioting and the looting, I live in Chelsea. My whole neighborhood, plywood was up from wall to wall, everywhere you went into the Flatiron District. I mean, I live very close. I would ride a bicycle through the Flatiron District. There was plywood on every building, and some of that plywood was ripped off with broken glass. It was all very intense. I mean, obviously, we all went through a lot. But yes, doing the hook rugs was very therapeutic. <laughs> it was a way of really kind of putting my head down. And like, um, I felt in a certain way, I made a decision at a certain point that, you know, there was a certain, at the beginning of the whole pandemic, I really thought, well, what is the point of doing anything? Because this is like serious business and a tragedy. But then I thought, well, you know, if you're an artist, your kind of job is to try to channel what's going on into artwork as a journal or a memory or a, um, you know, taking note of what, we're experiencing and so I was trying to kind of channel that's where the text comes from and that's where ultimately the title of the show came from was the Mar-a-Lago sunsets because I was really kind of like you know we were sitting around in the evenings watching those press those famous press conferences from the coronavirus task force and oh hearing just like words thrown at us that we knew were untrue as they were leaving the mouth of the person whose name I won't mention was saying them. We all, you know, we knew that we were being lied to. And so, you know, the idea of making sunsets, beautiful sunsets based on people's sort of optimistic Instagram feeds really sort of played into this idea of like, what's real and what's not real? What am, am I experiencing this? I only experienced it because I see it on Instagram. Did you really experience it? I guess you did. So it was all <laughs> part of this very, very heavily packed kind of box of information all kind of comes out into these rugs, which I think are really, in the end, yeah. kind of beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it is, it is kind of like amazing because even like what we're doing right now, Zoom interview, it's like Zoom all of a sudden became part of our our right. our vernacular and Zoom is sort of this weird thing between reality and not reality because you're not physically in the same room with the person, but everything else seems the same in a lot of ways. It's kind of you know, it's not just like reading about something online, it's having a genuine experience online, except that experience is 
expanded in a certain way, but very limited in others. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird ass time. You know, what else occurred to me, I think that task force, I think their, their motivation was trying to infect as many people as possible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, totally. Don't you think when I think back at it now, it's like, how can we manage, especially now we were looking at that in those days, which is only a few months ago. And now we're like the president got it. So they must've had a task force <laughs> they're doing when they say the task force is doing great. I think they are doing great. They got like eight, million 800 million americans sick or something yeah, it's it's the most successful project of uh this administration getting people sick they've done it it's true i mean it's really it is amazing to think that uh what a epic failure that this whole thing has been and that like anybody you know, you know, it's a funny thing, like people always, there are always movies made about like, Mr. Smith goes to Washington or, you know, some guy, Dave, there's that movie, Dave, about how some guy just sort of winds up as the president of the United States and then like sort of like handles it with some, you know, it's some tragic moment happens and the person steps up and becomes like, you know, this uh, Hollywood moment of, of success and, and beating the, whatever it is that is the challenge of the nation. And here we have a guy who came right out of, stepped right out of reality TV and he epically failed this thing like without any, and he can't, he, no admission of guilt. He wants the job but for another four years. It's insane. <laughs> and like all the things that happen, I mean, I wonder, like we think of the pandemic as a coincidence that happened under Trump's rule, but I wonder if it wasn't for Trump rule. Did you hear what I said? Yes, I did. <laughs> but I wonder if he wasn't, a, I wonder if somebody else was handling it, if we would, if we would be as traumatized by all this, if we'd be in this situation. I mean, it's like the swine flu. If Trump had been in charge, maybe we would have had, you know, a million people die then, who knows? Well, the irony is, you know, like anybody else who had had a different flu, like like uh, swine flu or Ebola or whatever other pandemic happened and somehow successfully it had been tamped down, then you would have some asshole like Trump calling into his friends on the radio saying, look at the government, they totally screwed us. They're making us stay home. I mean, and here is the guy who is the biggest complainer now in charge of the whole system. And he takes no responsibility for anything after spending a lifetime calling into Howard Stern or, or Rush Limbaugh or whatever radio show and spewing his toxic complaints. And yet his, his actual his actual remedies are were were ridiculous. They were horrible. Now you know. I mean, from talking about taking bleach to taking hydroxychloroquine to now he's like cured it. You know, it's he's got the cure. It's just insane. It's like the man is an epic failure. And I agree. Like uh, somebody else, anybody else would have done a far better job. And had he not been president, he would have been on the telephone, on the radio, complaining about the job that they had done, succeeding in what he himself has failed at completely. Yeah, yeah, not a fan. Yeah, not a fan, <laughs> not a fan. no. But you know, I love how like the, um, I think it's such a great 
you know, what you're doing is such a great example of like how artists are like cockroaches, because if you take away our studio, you take away our paints, you can take everything away, but you can't take away our, uh, you know, our drive, our, our need to make crap. I totally agree. I call my stuff crap. <laughs> no, I do too. I call my stuff crap too. I don't call it's your stuff. self-deprecating. I don't call your stuff crap though. No, but I no, it, it is really, it I is totally really great work. You I know totally, what I mean? But like, it's like, it's the making of it. It's like, you can't, I will make stuff no matter what the fuck happens. You can have a, you know, you can burn, you can burn down my apartment. I'll still be making work. And that's what you're doing, David, right? That's exactly right. I mean, honestly, like I, and I think because I think any really good artist who's really is in touch with themselves always will have that conversation with themselves where they say, what am I doing? What is this? Is it really worth it? There's so much going on. Why am I doing this? And yet for myself, because I, I mean, I, I think a time has proven I'm a real artist. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, no, and I, also I, the sales. <laughs> I end up collapsing back into making something to kind of understand. Because that's who you are, and that's right. the way you process. That's how I process. That's right. how you process things by making things. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. And it did, by the way, by the way, not to interrupt you, but uh, as you were talking before about mental health, I mean, this has been somehow a knock on wood an incredibly positive mental health experience because somehow i figured out how to harness this time and be useful with it yeah i know what, i mean i know i know what you mean it does feel really good that you know i mean i feel i feel grateful that i have uh activities that make of making things and i i mean it's just it's like it's so it makes you feel so independent, you know, like you can really make yourself feel like everything productive and satisfied by making work. And I also feel that some of the work that I that I made and, and I and I'm guessing you must feel this way um, that was sort of pandemic influenced, like looking back at it now, it feels just or maybe more relevant than it did at the time I was making it. Do you feel like that? Yeah. Like the work is more relevant now? Well, I definitely feel like in terms of these rugs that I made, that they will be relevant beyond the pandemic. But right. I do feel like as a actual, like if you, and I think it's that's what's really interesting about really good artwork is it's a product of its time, but it sort of is timeless at the same right. time. But uh, I do feel like I, I, these sort of questions about what is real and what, we're, what is my real experience or what is the experience that I'm experiencing because I've been inundated by, in this case, a situation, but in other cases like pop culture, like media, like, uh, the, like the movies, I can't have an experience without reflecting upon it through the or having a reflection of other things that I've seen or heard in a pop song or so that makes it real. And that mm -hmm. is a very funny thing about contemporary life is that you can't have a real experience without, without measuring it. 
Sorry about that. It's my obnoxious dog. Somebody must be walking past my apartment. Astro, shut up. Uh, uh, I. Okay, we're gonna have to. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna have to keep going. We're gonna have to okay. keep going. Okay. Because. Yeah, I can't kill her. That little dog has Phil, a big Phil will be mad at me if I kill the dog. <laughs> I would, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But anyway, I think that, um, no, I think it is really interesting because the pandemic sort of influences what you're making, but it's also kind of chronicling a moment in time that we'll be looking back on. And I think, yeah. I think that's sort of sort of interesting too, you know? I mean, I do feel like, you know, uh, the interesting thing about when you think about like the United States over the last, I don't know, 30 years, 20 years, you think about like, okay, 20 years, you think about 9-11 and then you think about the economic crash of 2008. And then you think about the pandemic as these series of that things that affected everyone in the country at right. some way. And each one, you know, you kind of like come up with a narrative to look back on it. And, you know, I think that the narrative of Donald Trump is going to be really like the way that the Democrats had to wear voting for or against the Gulf War and how that destroyed yeah. their potential as a politician. Yeah. In four, in three or four years from now, people are going to look back and say, were you with Trump who failed epically or not? I hope so. I hope so too. I mean, I hope yeah. so because I'm hoping that he doesn't win the reelection and I'm hoping that we suddenly see a different form of government and what it looks like to have a federal government that actually cares about the people somewhat. Well, I'm hoping that will come back and, and be stronger. You know, yeah. like maybe, maybe something good will come out of this. Like maybe we'll yeah, you know, maybe. be better Americans. I don't know. Well, at um, least one thing that came out of it is hook rugs. Hook rugs. But also, I'm thinking about um, how, I don't know, do you feel this way? Like, I feel like as far as the work and put it, um, like, the, my relationship with the work has gotten deeper into the actual making of it and all that other stuff, because I feel like during the pandemic, it's coming back now but all the buzz of all the other stuff, all the shows and what everybody else is doing and what yep. museum shows and all that, you know, every month it's a new, it's just more and more and more. And I feel like more alone mentally, emotionally with, with the process. Do you, yeah. do you feel like that? Like less, to, like less noise coming in while you were making that? I was reminded uh, while I was in the middle of the of the height of this whole pandemic of uh, times in my career, my past when I've had residencies, and yes. I and I've gone to like a, a like I went to Switzerland yeah. to do a residency. I had an apartment. I didn't know anyone in Switzerland except for I happened to meet four or five other people who were there at the same time as me. I had endless amounts of time every day to do whatever I wanted. There was no distractions because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't have like activities like I normally did. I didn't have, I lived in the apartment where my studio was. I woke up, I took a walk, I came home and I started working. 
I worked, I got done working. I thought I was done, but then I found myself working again because I didn't have anywhere else to go. And this is like what it was like being locked up during uh, the lockdown was- I, I kind of like that. I, I thought it was relaxing. I mean, yeah. I feel bad about the circumstances around it, but I sure. kind of- I would. I really it chilled me out. Yeah. No, it was very positive for creativity. Mm -hmm. It was incredibly positive for creativity. Knock on wood, my I was healthy. Yeah. I knock on wood. I I mean I well you I, were careful. I didn't lose my job because I didn't have one before. <laughs> so, yeah. But, no, but you, you were know. careful too. Yeah. Oh you sure. Know, yeah. So I thought it would be I thought it'd be uh, good to, that we should talk about your Celine um, collaboration because I know you've been interviewed on. Uh, there are interviews with you internationally, everywhere, Esquire, blah, 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 photo photographs. You actually, actually, if you look at Instagram, there are pictures of Mark Jacobs and other celebrities wearing the work that was made that of your collaboration. Which celebrities, again, there was a rapper. Yeah, there's a uh, Future is a rapper who's wearing yeah. a guy, I forgot his name. Uh, the lead singer of Weezer is yeah uh, lots yeah and then um, so it got it, it got a huge amount of international uh, it did. Uh, attention and it did. Uh, I I mean it, it's I I mean it's rare folks that I know any artist that gets any artist or am aware of it, let alone somebody I know personally, yeah, but aware of any artist that gets this much attention. And I, I'm going to say extremely well-deserved. I mean, the work is great. It was translated perfectly. It was, I wish I had a thousand dollars for a sweatshirt. No, I really wanted one of those bags. They were like $1,800 for a straw, <laughs> wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, something like straw that. bag. Oh, I would, crazy. But um, anyway, uh, you know, the runway, it was a very um, high end, you know, high, I mean, it's couturier fashion. David did couturier fashion, doesn't get any any bigger than that. And I know that, you know, all in all, the project can't, you can't think of it as anything but an enormous success, huge. But um, when well, you first got involved with it, when you were doing it, I mean, the whole project spanned over a year, about a year till from like when they first got in touch with you, they saw David's work. At a very uh, at the at the Armory show in New York, at like a big deal show, uh, and then they contacted him. But the whole thing took almost a year, maybe more. To very fast, actually. I mean, it was uh, they contacted me, and within really the speed that they put it together, it was not a year to, to produce the line. The irony is, the sad irony is, is. So in June of 2019, I went to Paris for the runway show to launch what would be spring, summer 2020. So and that was, wait, I'm, I just want people to understand that was March of 2019. June of 2019. And then, uh, June, but the, the way Couturier works, it wasn't actually going to be in the stores until spring, spring like a year later, right? Spring 2020, which is COVID. I mean, so like I had like, there was this tremendous amount of press buildup. 
there was this tremendous amount of excitement about the launch of this and how they would relaunch it, which they did in February and March of 2020. But like I went to Paris to paint a window of one of, of the store there on Rue du Faux, which is right like a block from the Louvre, it's beautiful. The, the, the Celine store. The and, like, and, and within minutes of me leaving Paris, they put plywood up over the window and everyone locked down. And <laughs> we were, so my moment of glory happens to coincide with COVID-19. Perfect. <laughs> no, so that that is so freaking weird. Did, they had good sales though, right, didn't they? It's done quite well, relatively speaking, considering, but I do think that the timing has been. But uh, it, the funny thing is that what they did with what we did in the collaboration was they used a lot of my paintings that have text on them, like the hook rugs do. But they, in some cases, they took the, lifted the text off and just put it straight onto t-shirts and bags and jackets. And sometimes they used my imagery and, the, and made purses and cell phone holders. And they did all kinds of uh, sneakers. They made lots of work using my paintings and my language as the uh, sort of the, the jump off point for the fashion line. Well, I also just want to say, even if they only use the words, the aesthetic, the way the words were on the t-shirts, like the look of everything was was the aesthetic, which is like you yeah, can't, you, colors it's an intangible, they, but it was all there. It wasn't like well, any other t funny. It wasn't like any t-shirts I've seen. I'm going to tell you that it much. Had a real As, even the simple ones. It had a real nostalgic kind of flair, hearkening back to like, rock and roll, 1979, 1980s, you know, it was like, well, really the 70s, like uh, mid 70s, sort of late, you know, Rolling Stones. And that was really the look that they were trying to aspire for using my language, which is really where I'm coming from when I make my work, because before using Instagram to find these sunsets, I often used old vintage magazines to find imagery to kind of get me going to kind of come up with my language and my text. I would draw pictures out of old Playboys or Life magazines or fashion magazines from another era because that era really attracts me. And it turned out that the fashion line that they had completely was a throwback to this nostalgic era of, the, mm -hmm. of this sort of 70s. and, and Really the 70s, yeah, 70s rock and roll, so. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, yeah it was beautiful stuff. The, the, oh, I'm yeah. Excited by it. So, I mean, when you look back on it, I mean, you had so much press and stuff like that. Like, you you see the whole uh, experience as a success, and there might have just been a few things that you missed because of the pandemic, right? Is that kind of, how do you well, feel I about mean, it looking back? Know, I think that honestly, like uh, it was it, like when I went to Paris to paint the windows on the store, we were talking, I was talking to people there with Celine and they were saying things like, well, you know, we'd like, we're, we're talking about sending you to Rodeo Drive to paint the window there. We're talking about they, your work is so popular right now in Japan. We're talking about sending oh, you yeah. to Japan to paint a window. And of course, none of that happened because there was none. So I will never know. I will never know 
what it might have been. Oh, yeah. But that said, it was pretty thrilling. It was a huge success, except the actual season was came about at the wrong season. Did, did, <laughs> did, was that frustrating about New York, too? Because you didn't really, you're, you, you had something in New York, some during, like right around the pandemic, but you didn't really get to have it in the store, no, the full yeah, season, well, that, like your friends uh, could have seen it and stuff like that. They had a couple of like, uh, uh, openings like so, like soft openings in the Celine store in Madison Avenue. They had one in Soho. I went to both of those events. Those were back in like January, late January. Oh, okay. you know, so they were bringing it out, but you know, a lot of this stuff was really supposed to be spring, summer. And by March, when it was really supposed to be full on spring, uh, they, unfortunately we were, you know, kind of distracted by wow. the pandemic. But I, I must say that um, I wasn't really looking for this opportunity and it sort of fell to me and it was fantastic that it happened. And I, and I, and I'm totally thrilled by it, but it wasn't like I had waited my whole life to be part of the fashion world. Right, you know, right, so right. I'm not that, it doesn't have that kind of tragic ending to me because well, like right now I'm more excited or I'm equally as excited about having a show in a gallery in the Lower East Side. Yeah, I think you are. I mean, it feels like that. I think you handled it pretty well. I have to say, I think you handled that. You get, you get point, you handled it. You know what, David, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that you handled it better than I thought you would. Oh, good. (laughs) I mean, you, you, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed to see what ha- would have happened, and disappointed on your behalf and all that. But yeah. I would say that you know, it is a circumstance and all that other stuff. And uh, I'm happy to see that you're focused on the work, which is really always the most important part. Thank you. No, but, but a trip to Tokyo to paint the window would have been that would have been nice, right? Man, that was a possible. I didn't even know that. Oh, but no, I you to- handled it well. You handled it well. I have to say though, you know, there was a period of time back in like March or you know when I started to feel a little bit sorry for myself and then you looked sure. around at like what was going on with this with the numbers of the news and the ambulance noise and the and you know you start to just not worry about what what opportunities were missed and you started one would start to think about things in another way about what to do to get out of this to get forward to move ahead and I think the survival skills that I have developed over the years from dealing with the rejections of the art world allowed me to not dwell on the positive or the negative too long. Very, very good. And then you like, you know, got right back on the horse and made all those uh, rugs and, and, you know, look, now you're having a show so it kind of in a certain way like it kind of like that's the whole thing it's like the whole thing I think kids about an art career is it's never one thing right 
it's never like a lot of times you think like you're going to get this opportunity and that's going to put you over the edge. You're finally going to get whatever that is that you were looking for, that you thought you were looking for. Right. But it's never one thing. It's a combination of it's the it's the tenacity, right? I've certainly had many different times in my long uh, career yeah. where I thought, well, that was like the turning point. And oh, the turning yeah. point kind of turns to back to normal, not that long afterwards. And then you have, and I, you know, if you're lucky, you find another turning point, which I have all over and over again had opportunity. Yeah. So, and the best thing, really, the best, I, as I said, this show that I'm doing right now that opens on Thursday, I'm super excited about because, like, I was making these rugs and they're so, to me, they're so, immediate and so perfect for this moment and the title of the show that I sort of made I had one of the pieces is a sunset that says none of this is true and that piece <laughs> is called Mar-a-Lago Sunset and so the idea of doing a show called Mar-a-Lago Sunsets was really something that I wanted to do and then I got into a conversation with uh, Nick Lawrence the guy who owns Freight and Volume he called me during the pandemic. We had a conversation and one thing led to another and we're doing the show. And that is like, to me, just fantastic. Like here it is. And I know, I knew going in and I know going in that there's a hell of a lot of things going on right now to distract from having an art show, but I'm really so happy to be doing this show before the election as sort of a wave goodbye to Donald Trump, hopefully. Hopefully. You know, yeah. Yeah. on this whole period, dark period. And tomorrow morning, hopefully we'll wake up to a better new day. Oh, man. So there's well, a things, things are starting to open up again as far as the art world goes. Have you been to Chelsea? I have not. But have you? I have uh, been to some galleries around, sure. But, um, you, you know, it's ironic that... I typically totally look forward to the fall in New York to run around to openings, to run into friends who I haven't yeah. seen all summer, yeah. to see art again, to be at openings night after night for like the first month and a half of the right. year. And it's all such a great time. And now I'm like, if I see people inside a gallery, I'm like, I'm not going in there. There's too many people. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. it's very, it's all kind of turned on its head, but I actually, uh, it's, you know, I said, I've said to myself the saddest part about this whole uh, pandemic has been that the things that have made my life in New York, what it has been for the last, you know, 30 years has been running into friends on the subway sitting in bars and drinking and getting into a casual conversation with someone I don't know, or going to an opening and seeing friends or seeing friends artwork or seeing people I hate their artwork up. In the <laughs> and like none, none of those things have been really available at this point in the way that they were, have been as that have built my life. And so, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have to move on, but it is kind of great to have an opening even though I'll be standing on the street in front of the gallery for the entire opening with a mask on, you know, like waving at friends, it will still be very, um, this is really kind of like a nice way to at least feel like 
something has been achieved through this whole period. I'm getting something positive totally. out of all the experience. Totally, right? yeah, I know. And running into people you know, like in the art store, like running into you at Michael's. <laughs> So, guys, David and I ran in each other in Michael's in August or something. Yeah, and first store. of all, that's a craft store. That's not a real art I store. So it's embarrassing. <laughs> Blick is bad enough. And 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 there we were. And I didn't even recognize you. Did you know that? <laughs> I, was looking, I was looking at this guy, and David. So this is what I was. This is what I. This is what I told somebody the story. It's like. Yeah, so I see Kramer, and you know, Kramer's so laid back. I'm like staring at him, looking at him, going, Is that Kramer? And then he finally says, Hi. <laughs> I'm like looking at you and staring at you. You just don't even say anything. I had like an armful of yarn. I felt like you know. <laughs> it was so funny. It was so funny. It was so funny that I didn't recognize you. You know, that's what's so weird. It's funny to me because I, um, it was so funny to see you because I hadn't seen you since March, I guess. But yeah, right. But it's so funny to, uh, I've joked about this since I started making these hook rugs, that the idea that I'm used to be, I am used to being someone who shops for my art supplies at like the lumber yard or the, you know, I go to the art supply store or I actually, you know, I'm always like, there's something more rugged about my self image as yeah, art. right. It's so <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Now I'm like shopping at Michael's and buying like pink yarn, you know, orange yeah. yarn. <laughs> and I run yeah. into you in Michael's with an armful of yarn. It's like, I, I know, armful of like bright colored yarn. And I disappear right now. <laughs> it was so dark. You look, it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Luck, I mean, Jesus, it, with the dorkiest shit that they have there. That's what you were carrying, the dorkiest, the you yarn. Can, you can what buy was it. I getting? I was getting like a canvas? Yeah, I, I think you were there for canvas or something. I, I don't mean, know. I'm always buying. I buy weird shit all the time because. But they do sell things like, you know, you now you walk in, you can get Halloween decorations and they start having like little Christmas ribbons so you can decorate your basket or best collection of candy at the at impulse buy yeah. I like that I like the candy so yeah and that's what my life has turned into is I now you're shopping. a Michael shopper yeah <laughs> I'm I got I, I have get... I'm a club member I'm a you? club member I get it yeah you are <laughs> you're a club member now Oh, you're really, you've really gone full steam. You've really gone full Michaels. Yeah, yeah no, I can't, I don't like that store because it, you have to wait online so long. During the pandemic, it was great. No one was in there, but now you have to wait online so yeah. long, especially at Halloween time. So um, what about, what are you going to make next? Do you have any idea? Are there going to be more hook rugs or well, you know, it's needle point, any needle point? I do really like this technique and I'm really into it. And, uh, but I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, it's always a very, the one thing about being an artist that I just absolutely kind of hate is like, I love the build up to the show. And then when you have the show, I just kind of hate it because <laughs> it means that I'm not in the middle anymore. And then I have to think about what's next. And that's, uh... 
So I haven't yeah. gotten there yet to like thinking about what the next thing is. Uh, right. Do you worry? Do you worry? I mean, I'm like this and I'm wondering, like, how do you feel about like having your work out there and being judged? Are you like, maybe it's me, but I'm just like, oh, no one's going to look at it or care. No one's going to see the show. Every show I do. Uh, I the gallerist hates it. The gallerist hates it. This is the one that's going to get me the big review. And like, oh, really? Every show. So I'm always, I'm, no, I'm pretty, I'm really excited by this show. I think the work is really great. I can't wait for people to see it. And I, I'm actually really, really happy about it. That said, I do not hang around the galleries ever when I have a show up. I mm. don't like the kind of like closing party, the get together, the artist talk. I don't really like any of that junk. But I do like having the show up. It's really, a, it, it doesn't bother me one bit. You mean being up. being there with your work and getting feedback in person, does that make you uncomfortable? No, or? no one ever really says anything to you when they're in person. Yeah, no. They go. Back where they do all I the love stuff. it. I love it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I hear things like, well, your other show is better. You ever hear that? <laughs> your other show is better. <laughs> the other show is better. <laughs> your last work. I liked it when you, they always, that is always the funny thing. It's like, as soon as you move on to the next thing, it's always like, oh, I really like those old paintings you were doing. Yeah, where, where, where are those? Where, where, where were How you come doing? there aren't any? Or like my mother, my mother would say stuff like, you know, your work is not my thing. It's just not my thing. <laughs> I like that, it's honest. <laughs> it's not really my thing. You know, you know, getting good positive feedback. I've heard so many people from people like, you know, people, everyone, no matter how successful you are, is always disappointed by their parents' reaction. 99, unless you have one of those really, you know, supportive families yeah. that really, sure. Lena Dunham is probably doesn't feel that way, but no, I, th I, I think it's really common. I think it's, I think it's really, really uh, common. I always, you know, I always, uh, this is morbid, joke but my I was pretty young when my parents both died and uh they were so against the idea of me being an artist they were just like you know just so thought of, you know they had fought their way out of they were the first ones in their family to go to college and you know they were just like you're gonna not do something like being an artist it was so and I always say, thank God they died. Of course, I'd never be an artist because I never could have handled the unbelievable beating that I, I get nonstop while I was just starting out. It was, you know, no, I mean, I don't mean thank God they're dead, but I just no, mean, I, it I never, get it. It never, it would have been so. It was so hard to like. I remember my dad had died while I was in graduate school, and my mother died a few years later, and. But right after, right during that period of time before she died and my dad had died, she actually said to me, you're wasting your life. <laughs> <gasps> there you go. There you go. Don't. And if you get, if you have supportive parents, you are way ahead of the game, folks. There are just not a lot out there. That's horrible. Yeah. You're wasting your yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. They must have gone to the same Jewish parenting school as my parents. I'm sure they must have. 
You know, David, we only got four minutes left and we want to get all this information in about your show and the website. And I also realized I forgot to mention the Wall of Lies project from Radio oh, Free yeah. Brooklyn. And I'm going to get in trouble. Tom, Tom, I was talking about the, where people could get mental health resources in the front. I focused on that. So I didn't talk about the Wall of Lies projects, which is epic, epic. epic. Yeah, my, my husband, it happened to be that my husband got involved in it because he knows about the radio station through me and knew about this idea. Wall lies, 20,000 of Trump's lies on a wall in Bushwick. You can find out everything. It got, there's a whole story about it. It's gotten a lot of press and uh, it has gotten vandalized several times. They are doing a GoFundMe to, uh, to restore it and maybe put it up somewhere else. So that's another thing. I forgot to tell you about that because have you been seeing all the stuff about that, David? Oh yeah, it's an incredible project. It's incredible, right? Yeah. No, it's Chuck incredible. Schumer came to the opening. Chuck it's Schumer right. was on the air. Did you see that? That Chuck I Schumer saw was that. there? I saw that. Amazing. It's so funny because Chuck Schumer walks up and everybody's and he's looking for like who's in charge here. And I'm like, who is this old guy just walking around trying to figure out what are you who who are you? And then because we're all wearing these stupid masks. Yeah. So anyway, you should know that. And uh, David, I'm going to also read out where where your show is. okay? because I got it all here on the on the on the printout. So anyway, folks, you've got to see this show. It's, 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 it'll make you feel, it'll make you feel it'll, it's very satisfying because it's funny and it's ironic and it'll make you feel good. And you also get to express your anger. I think that's a good way to put it. So go to, um, it's at Freight and Volume, which is an excellent, excellent gallery. Um, a lot of really good artists or other artists that I know show there. So uh, that's Freight and Volume with Anne I'm spelled on. Yes, I'm getting there, all right? Yeah. I got it right here. I got the paper. I mean, masculine this to you. You're so worried I'm not going to remember because I, you know me, I guess. I probably I'm surprised I do. So anyway, it's at 97 Allen Street. That's a storefront. It's in the Lower East Side. Right below it, Delancey. Where is it? Right below Delancey. Right below Delancey. Okay. And the opening is October 15th from 6 to 8. David will be there. I will be there. Um, and it's open until November 8th, 2020. So I I implore you to go see it. Okay. And uh, stick around because we've got a really, really great afternoon here. Lost and Rewound, Elon Danziger has hilarious right after me. And you know what else they're starting to replace Sitting with Gianluca, which has been the number one show. It's music and talk. Gianluca is an amazing guy. And that's uh, right after that. So um, yeah, you should look us up and go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org uh go to our, go look up all the stuff about wall of lies there's a whole section a place to donate place to donate to the station and uh tune in next thursday at two o'clock and uh let's hang okay thanks again thanks again for listening and thanks again to david 
Kramer. Yes. Thank you, Lisa. Dr. Lisa gives a shit.